Oral questions by members. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Emails obtained under FOI show that alarm bells were ringing at Ecom 911 well in advance of a heat wave that took the lives of 569 British Columbians. According to Ecom's Vice President of Operations, delays in transferring ambulance requests from 911 call takers had been increasing for 12 months prior to the heat wave. On June the 3rd, nearly a month before the heat wave, an internal email says, and I quote, there are spikes we cannot manage in our current underfunded model. BC Emergency Health Services is compromising public safety due to delays with their call answers, end quote. This is a question for the Premier of British Columbia. Why did his government fail to act before these delays cost the lives of so many British Columbians during the heat wave. Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the uh, Leader of the Opposition for her question. Uh, the Leader of the Opposition will note, because I brief on these subjects regularly, that the situation around ambulance calls was something I raised in public around June the 3rd, because those days were record days in British Columbia. They weren't heat dome days, they were regular days. And we were seeing an, ext an extreme uptake in the use of our ambulance service, such that I think it was June the 4th or 5th in that range. It was the highest day of ambulance calls at that time in the, uh, in the history of British Columbia, except for New Year's Eve 2017 and 2018. We have been adding extraordinary resources to our ambulance system. We've gone from a funding level of $424 million to $559 million during that period. We were adding resources to the ambulance system. The events of the heat dome, as the member will know, in that weekend, saw uh, an uh, increase in calls so significantly beyond even what we saw in the first week of June that it was unprecedented, as Dr. Henderson has suggested from the BCCDC, a one in a thousand year event, which has now happened and we now have to respond to. And the member will also know the significant investments we've made, including in dispatch, 30 new dispatchers uh, in the BCHS part of the system and the ambulance dispatch part of the system to address that issue. But there are extraordinary challenges facing our ambulance system and healthcare system today because of two public health emergencies. And we are responding with more resources, more ambulance paramedics, more ambulances, more air ambulance, and more dispatchers. Leader of the official opposition, supplemental. Well, thank you very much. Almost six hundred frail elderly British Columbians, for the most part, died. And this government had a warning. And the time period that the, the emails reference were 12 months where call volumes were increasing at unprecedented rates. It was too little, too late. And the outcomes, frankly, were deadly. The emails obtained under FOI make it clear that the crisis in 911 dispatch and the ambulance services were ignored by the government in the months leading up to the heat wave. Ecom felt so frustrated at their concerns being ignored, they considered holding a press conference to directly appeal to the government. 
not in 2018 or 2019, but prior to the heat wave. This is what the president and CEO of Ecom wrote on June the 30th, and I quote, the government needs to get in. This is for BCEHS and the Ministry of Health to fix, end quote. So again to the Premier, why did his government fail to fix the problems that led to 911 being absolutely overwhelmed during the heat wave? Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, uh, the people of BC know the situation in the ambulance service because we regularly reported on that situation throughout the pandemic. There were periods in the pandemic when ambulance calls were down. There were more significant periods, particularly on Vancouver Island earlier on in January and February, and then in the whole province, starting in May and June, where we saw ambulance demand increase in advance of the heat dome to an extent that had never been seen before. This is a fact and something we regularly reported on. It's why we responded by significantly increasing resources to the ambulance service in 2018, in 2019, in 2020, and now 2021 to deal with the situation that we, that we dealt with at those times and to see a significant increase in service. And uh, Honourable Speaker, it is clear that the extraordinary events of that week and the continuing extraordinary events facing our province put pressure on the ambulance service, and we've responded, as uh, the member knows, as all members of the House know, in the, in the, I think, the best way possible, by adding supports and resources, by strengthening both the leadership and the on-the-ground supports to ambulance service, by providing more service in 24 communities, rural communities, and adding services to 26 other rural communities, and adding ambulance paramedics and dispatchers in urban areas. That is the way you respond to the challenge, and we're going to continue to do that. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, these FOI documents uh, show deep concern uh, from ECOM about a crisis that's been growing for 12 months. On June 29th, the President and CEO wrote, quote, the significant risk to public safety safety posed by call answer delays in transferring 911 calls for the ambulance service to BCEHS has significantly worsened. BCEHS's ability to accept our calls is being fully exhausted." End quote. This was the very day that the Premier was giddy and said fatalities are a part of life and people need to take personal responsibility. So my question to the Premier, is this an issue of personal responsibility when it was clearly a failure of his government? Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, the ambulance service is, I think, a been since its creation a source of pride in BC. And it's why when I became Minister of Health, I doubled our rate of increase in investment. Because I think it is. And because it required, did require at the time, I think everyone knew it, um, and it, it, efforts didn't start when I became Minister of Health. George Abbott started the community uh, paramedicine system when he was Minister of Health, and others saw it. But we had a level of investment in the ambulance service that was significantly below what it needed to be, and that's why this government doubled it, why we added full-time paramedics, ambulances, air ambulances, and dispatch resources, and we are continuing to do so because at this point in our history, 
when our primary care system has been disproportionately virtual, there are extraordinary uh, pressures on our ambulance service that we've seen. And we're responding again by adding ambulance paramedics. Hopefully we all agree that's a good idea. Adding cars, adding air ambulance services, adding dispatchers, and reforming the management of BC EHS and putting outstanding leaders uh, in charge to help us uh, through this period. I want to thank our ambulance paramedics who continue to do an extraordinary job on the ground and we're going to continue to do what we've been doing, which is significantly support them in a time of two public health emergency. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the minister. This government often talks about doubling investments, increasing how much money is being spent. That is not how we judge success. We judge success by the outcomes, and these outcomes are not good. This is what else the president of Ecom wrote, quote, BCEHS is 100% maxed out. I was told last night that over 200 calls were waiting in queues to be assigned to an ambulance to attend. Fundamentally, BCEHS must remedy this problem, unquote. We know that by June 3rd, Ecom was convinced that the problems at BC Emergency Health Services were compromising public safety, Mr. Speaker. Yet nothing was done to fix the problems and the system collapsed during the heat wave. Mr. Speaker, why did the Premier describe the failure of his government as a matter of personal responsibility? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, we are judged on what we do and our outcomes. And, uh, and uh, I always try in answering questions in this House to take responsibility for that in as uh, uh, simple a way as I can. Uh, the member says that hiring more par paramedics, hiring more dispatchers, adding cars, <coughs> adding air ambulances, which this government did on the base that had been left to us, and people can be judged on that too, Honourable Speaker, um, was not the right course, but I think it is the right course. What we know is that we need to continue to add such resources to meet the current demand. And, uh, you know, Honourable Speaker, I think when people call 911, they should get an ambulance. That's what I think. And that's uh, why we're adding resources to meet that, because that's what our ambulance paramedics think and our dispatchers think and people at ECOM think and everyone think. And so we're going to continue our efforts to uh, improve the system in both rural and urban BC, in every community in BC, to meet that challenge in, in the current time. And uh, I'm very proud of our ambulance par paramedics and our, our teams for all of their efforts to make this happen. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Last week, the International Energy Agency released their World Energy Outlook report. The report is designed to be a handbook for policymakers at the COP26 climate change conference. It's long. However, what it found is that fossil fuel development is inconsistent with keeping climate change below 1.5 degrees Celsius. Fossil fuel expansion is inconsistent with avoiding disaster. The questions this morning in this chamber really show us that climate change is a public health emergency and it will continue to affect every aspect of our society. Yesterday, this government announced their Clean BC Roadmap to 2030. It included a new GHG cap on natural gas, or LNG, but made sure to include compliance pathways so that industry can get away with continuing to develop LNG. 
The Premier proudly proclaimed LNG as a bridge fuel. It is not. It is a fossil fuel with intensive greenhouse gas emissions, including methane. Through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Environment and Climate Change, despite dire warnings, will this government allow future LNG development in British Columbia? Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. Uh, British Columbians, like people around the globe, have experienced uh, the effects of climate change in the last uh, couple of years, and particularly this year, uh, that exceed uh, anything that they thought they would see, although climate scientists obviously knew what was coming. Uh, we're concerned about that as well in our government, and we understand we need to address the issue of climate change with great urgency. Uh, the member, uh, the leader of the third party, uh, worked with us in the, in the previous parliament to develop our Clean BC uh, climate plan. I think we were all proud of that, but we know that we needed to design a roadmap that took us to our targets, we needed to close that loop, and we needed to up our ambition. We're proud of the roadmap that we released yesterday. It is significant. It contains measures across all sectors of society and the economy. They've been independently modeled to reduce emissions to meet our target. That includes uh, mandating methane emission reductions in the oil and gas sector of 75% by 2030, and it includes a commitment, Honourable Speaker, to work with the sector, with oil and gas, with Indigenous nations, and with experts to design the measures that will take us to our 2030 uh, sectoral target of 33 to 38% reduction in oil and gas emissions. The Clean BC Roadmap is modelled including a 33% reduction. Leader of the Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and, and I appreciate the Minister's response. However, it did not answer the question that I posed very clearly, which is, will this government allow future LNG development? I'm curious about a specific part of the roadmap as well, Honourable Speaker. The roadmap place, puts in place a cap on greenhouse gas emissions for LNG, but that cap is only for domestic use. That's interesting, given that this government has been intent on LNG for export. Mm -hmm. Through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Environment and Climate Change, if LNG is developed for export, will it be exempt from the greenhouse gas emissions cap included in this government's climate plan? Minister of Environment. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you again to the member for the question. Uh, <clears throat> the member uh, apparently continues to try to find reasons not to believe that we're serious about meeting our climate targets, but I assure you that we are. The, the member has uh, also incorrectly interpreted the roadmap. There is a cap on uh, emissions from oil and gas use domestically. And there is a commitment to work with the oil and gas sector, with Indigenous nations, 
with experts to put in place programs and policies to ensure that we meet the emission reduction sectoral target for oil and gas in BC. Honourable Speaker, the member keeps looking for a dramatic statement. I don't know of a more dramatic statement than outlining exactly the amount of emission reductions upstream transmission and compression that we expect to achieve with this plan. It is clear we're committed to reducing emissions from the oil and gas sector. Member for Kamloops, South Thompson. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Um, tragedy struck at the B.C. Supreme Court uh, recently when a judge uh, fell ill with stroke-like symptoms. Now, we're all taught the acronym FAST uh, to recognize the sign of stroke. And as everyone knows, the T stands for uh, time to call 911. But after waiting on hold with 911 for more than 30 minutes, uh, the BC Sheriff's Service had to drive this Supreme Court judge to the hospital using one of their own vehicles. Turns out that not even a Supreme Court justice can get an ambulance under this premier. So my question to the Premier is this, when is the Premier going to acknowledge that BC's emergency system is in crisis and when is he going to fix it? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And, uh, you know, uh, any time that people have to wait too long or don't get the service they need in our health care system these times or any other time is a serious question. I take the question very seriously, of course. It doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter who you are in our province. That's what the public health care system is all about. It's why, when I became Minister of Health, and clearly a major upgrading and reform of the ambulance service was needed, we engaged in that. And we substantially increased resources. I mean, the numbers are there. They're undisputed. I don't think they're disputed in the House. This dramatic increase, other than mental health and addictions, the largest increase of any area of health care since I became Minister of Health, which is a significant investment. We are and are continuing to make those investments, to upgrade service, to upgrade service not just in urban BC, but in rural BC, where the gaps can be even, as the member will know, more stark. So we are continuing our efforts to add dispatchers, add ambulance paramedics, to add ambulances, to add air ambulance capacity, keeping in mind the needs of people who depend on that service. Member for Prince George Mackenzie. Uh, thank you, Speaker. You know, we're adding resources uh, um, in rural parts of the province, perhaps, but uh, we certainly don't see it up in my area. The sad reality is British Columbians across the province are having to deal with life-threatening situations without proper support. And the minister can read from a laundry list of stats, but it doesn't change the trauma inflicted upon people. A few weeks ago, a constituent had a heart attack at a remote logging camp and was transported to the Mackenzie Hospital, which was closed when they got there. They were turned away at the door and told to call 911 from the parking lot of the hospital. The next closest hospital was two hours away. But when they called the ambulance, there was none available. The only one in town was tied up. The wife of the victim rattled the doors and was finally let in. And hours later, that patient was medevaced to St. Paul's Hospital. 
Under this Premier, health care has gotten so bad that hospitals are closed and ambulances are unavailable in emergencies. Does the Premier think patients need to shake doors to get the care they need? Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, uh, currently in British Columbia, uh, as the member notes, and I know because we've spoken about issues in Mackenzie, including the story he describes, and uh, it's one that we've taken obviously a careful look at and will be uh, subject to review, as it should, in our healthcare system. Right? I think that our healthcare system, in the time of two public health emergencies, has done an exceptional job. I don't think the member's characterization is the correct one. Moreover, I think our healthcare system has responded in a way that British Columbia can be proud of. 67 people have been taken from critical care in the north critical care in the south, mostly related to COVID-19 and mostly because this has become a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And people take those steps unhesitatingly and provide the care unhesitatingly. We've added air ambulance resources, air resources, ambulance support resources in the north. These are exceptional times and exceptional stresses. And I appreciate the concern of the honourable member for his constituents, and I've been engaged with him on that question. But I also think that our public health care system in this time has responded with courage and with dignity and with effort and with passion to deal with some of the most extraordinary conditions we have ever seen, ever seen in our province, and will continue to do so. Member for Shuswap. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, nobody here is questioning the Herculean efforts have been undertaken by the ambulance service. This line of questioning is all about a lack of resources and a lack of action by this government. Honourable Speaker, it's like the Premier has forgotten that this is his second term in office, that these are his decisions and that the impacts are real. In my riding, a woman fell into a fire and suffered severe burns. Her husband and neighbours rushed to assist her, and as anyone would, called 911, expecting assistance. Help failed to arrive. After that failure, they transported the woman to Shushwap Lake General Hospital. She was then flown to Kamloops, and then flown to Vancouver General Hospital. Residents expect care when they need it. They don't expect to have to act as an ambulance crew. Through you, Mr. Speaker, to the Premier, health care in this province is getting worse not better. What is the Premier going to do now to make sure that people get the care that they need? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, I, I suppose um, um, it's uh, a time for uh, clip lines. But those aren't true. Right? They're not true. Um, yes, um, I've been Minister of Health for more than four years. Yes, each of those years has involved a record increase in the ambulance service. Yes, I gave twice as much priority as had been given before to those issues. But you know, as you know, on the ground, we're dealing with two public health emergencies, two. And in that time, we've reduced surgical wait lists. Our urgent and primary care centers have run outstanding primary care. 
The outcomes of people with COVID-19 in critical care are some of the best in the world, and we are continuing to work to address services. To say that these aren't extraordinary times, a time of two public health emergencies, is to simply ignore what's in front of us. And I know the members know that because they're fully engaged on these issues every day and in their community. And that's why we've got to do and continue to work together to increase levels of immunization and vaccination so we can uh, move to a new stage of the COVID-19 pandemic and continue to support our healthcare system with unprecedented resources and support in challenging times. Member for Delta South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The mayor of Delta is fed up with the unacceptable ambulance delays in our community. In a letter to the minister, he writes, and I quote, on August 22nd, there was only one call taker for all of Vancouver because 25 of 26 BCEHS dispatcher seats were empty. On September 24th, only one ambulance was operating for all of Richmond and Delta. This is incredible incompetence for an area of over 300,000 people, Mr. Speaker. We haven't heard the NDP MLAs from Richmond speak up about this ambulance delay, but I will, Mr. Speaker. Will the Premier act now and fix this ambulance crisis? Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, I, what I would say is that um, the challenges facing the ambulance system are not of a new date, and it's why we've responded the way we have with budgets every year that have significantly increased paramedics, ambulances, dispatchers, and air ambulance services across BC. This is a recognition of both a structural need for reform, and that's been happening, and of urgent services that are provided to support communities. And this was, yes, these were necessary steps, and more will be required, Honourable Speaker. And that is why, I think, given the circumstances. I'm so proud of the response of our ambulance paramedics and dispatchers on the ground in challenging times when we've seen an unprecedented increase in demand, have responded with, uh, with courage and skill and dignity and are working so very hard. And we're going to continue, Honourable Speaker, to do what we have done, which is to increase the investment in our ambulance service and hire more paramedics, add ambulances and hire more dispatchers. Member for Fraser Nicola. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As the minister knows, the ambulance situation is also being complicated by staffing shortages and ER closures. But now the mayor of Ashcroft says that the ambulance service isn't even being told about the closed ERs. And I quote, we have an ambulance station in Ashcroft. Sometimes they aren't even aware that the emergency department is closed, or whether it's closing at 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. They're taking people in the ambulance to the ER in Ashcroft, and then finding it closed have to divert. Does the Premier find it acceptable that ambulances can arrive at emergency rooms only to find out they are closed? Minister of Health. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker, and certainly uh, uh, if the member has brought that to my attention, I'll certainly look into the issues raised by uh, 
herself and the mayor of Ashcroft, because those are, are uh, things that shouldn't happen. Sometimes do happen, but shouldn't happen in our system. We have continued to invest, particularly in rural primary care. The member will know that the issue in Ashcroft is one of, uh, of uh, some long date, that the move away from full-time emergency room services occurred under a previous government for reasons that were real at the time. And uh, I, I don't pass judgment in that, but we are working hard with the community in Ashcroft to improve emergency room services and to improve hospital and primary care services and with regions across BC to add not just on-call paramedics but full-time paramedics all over BC to ensure that our service is ready in rural BC for, the, for uh, what's coming over the next decade as well as this year and this month. So I thank the member for her question. I'm happy to look into the issue she's raised. Opposition House Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the problem is very clear, and the problem is very clearly this government's uh, failure to act in a timely fashion. The minister can stick to their speaking notes all he would like, but the reality is all of our email boxes are filling up with story after story of delay and wait, and delay and wait, and a failure in our health care system. We've heard about the closed emergency rooms, closed actual hospitals. We've heard time and again about that. And I will guarantee the members opposite and government are getting those same emails, yet doing nothing about it. This minister used to be the health critic. I wonder what he as a health critic would say about the total failure of the health care system right now to address these needs. We've had warnings 15 months ago about a shortage of dispatch. Ignored. And then a heat wave comes and 569 people lose their lives. We've heard the, the problem is very clear, a lack of resources. A car accident in Smithers requires an ambulance. No one was answering. A passerby drove to the ambulance station and a fire hall. And an ambulance on call just happened to be driving by but already had a patient. But they still stopped. One person died in that scenario. Another had to be airlifted to Vancouver. Healthcare by luck and circumstance, not by phoning 911 and actually having somebody pick up the phone and dispatching. According to Ecom, as reported in the TIE, that call was one of 5,000. And that's actually a typical Wednesday. The delay was actually a lack of dispatchers. So again, Ecom quotes, during this time, we were seeing longer delays in transferring 911 callers with the request for ambulance to BC Emergency Health Services, end quote. So again, when will this Premier actually address the shortcomings and actually acknowledge the critical crisis the healthcare system across the borders in British Columbia and actually take steps to fix it instead of blaming people for trying to actually get healthcare they need in a timely fashion? Minister of Health. Well, with respect to the, the last line the member made, uh, Honourable Speaker, no one's done that ever, right? No one's done that ever. And I think when, when, the, when the member um, uh, suggests that we don't take this issue seriously, we don't take this issue seriously, he is wrong. He refers to my time as health critic. Yeah, I thought the government there underinvested in the ambulance service, and they did, and that's why I doubled the level of funds that we have.
And yes, Honorable Speaker. And yes, members. Honorable Speaker. Well, Honorable Speaker, uh, the members know they raised in their questions an unprecedented number of, uh, of dispatches and an unprecedented number of responses, Honorable Speaker. And uh, we have to continue to do, for, well, Honorable Speaker, it was day one. And yes, when I was health critic, yes, when I was health critic, and the previous government decided to take away the independent bargaining rights of ambulance paramedics to raise these issues at the bargaining term, I was opposed to that. I was opposed to that. And it, it, because I believe, because I believe, members, honorable let's speaker, listen to the answer, please. Because members. I believe, honorable speaker, order. I believe, honorable speaker that, uh, that uh, it's working together with our ambulance paramedics that we can do a better job. And so I restored those rights at the bargaining table. And many of the increases in services, the creation of hundreds of full-time positions, are a direct result of that collaboration. And we have to... And yes, Honorable Speaker, and yes, Honorable Speaker, uh, so I, I take very seriously the questions asked by members of the opposition in spite of the opposition House leaders um, uh, yelling out. I, w I would say this, Honorable Speaker, that we have to continue to do better. We just have to continue to do better. And that's why we, uh, in, on July 2nd, posted hundreds of positions. We're adding positions. We're adding supports in rural and remote BC. And there's significant challenges facing a health care system during two public health emergencies. And we are responding to that with resources and effort. And this public health emergency of COVID-19 and the public health emergency in the overdose crisis, I think, have shown our health care system working together to help people in difficult times, just as pe the people of BC have done the same. I'm proud today to be the leader as Minister of Health of a public health care system. And I'm proud of the people of BC for our joint response in difficult times.